wanted to take a moment and uh, read a couple passages of scripture uh, before we hear from our first preacher. Um, I'm not going to preach tonight, as tempting as it is, um, but I do want to take a moment and explain a little bit of what we're doing here tonight. So if you would first turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and this is um, Paul's instruction to uh, young Timothy as he um, takes this church um, in Ephesus and he wants to encourage him and challenge him and instruct him um, regarding the responsibilities of, um, of a pastor. And uh, now tonight we're not going to hear necessarily from uh, the pastor of the church. We're going to hear from other men. But certainly this is um, something that <clears throat> um, other men can do. You don't have to be a pastor in order to preach. In fact, all of us as believers are called to preach the gospel to every creature. So um, while a pastor is limited to uh, a man, uh, preaching the gospel to every creature is not limited to just men. Uh, that's supposed to be for every believer, man and woman, and, uh, and young or old. And we're all to preach the gospel to every creature. But 2 Timothy chapter number 4, here's Paul's instruction to uh, Timothy. In, in verse number 1, he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And then he says, preach the word. He doesn't say preach your opinion, uh, preach relevant topics, preach what everybody wants to hear. Uh, no, preach the word. And I know that there's going to be uh, times, and he mentions it here um, in verse number three, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And I know that preaching the word sometimes is not popular. It's not what everybody wants. Um, and... I know a lot of people like spiritually want to act spiritual and say, oh, yeah, I want a church that really preaches the truth. But once the pastor starts preaching the truth and they're like, OK, well, I don't really like that that much because <laughs> that's stepping on my toes and uh, you're kind of getting up into my business. Uh, you just need to lay off there, pastor. Well, when the truth does that, that's not the pastor's fault. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, in verse 2, again, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And reproving and, and, and rebuking and exhorting, um, two out of the three are on the negative side of things. Reproving is one that's basically, you know, saying shame on you for doing wrong, and rebuking you is, is calling you out for doing wrong. I mean, they're, they're, they're similar. Um, exhorting is a little bit more of the encouragement and the more positive spin on things. So really a pastor is supposed to, two out of three, 66% of the time, be either reproving or rebuking uh, the, the flock of God. Um, and then uh, two, two other passages I want to just show you real quick. First uh, Peter chapter number five, first Peter chapter number five. And verse number one, again, Peter's writing to other pastors, and he says in verse one, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I, I'm, I'm dealing with these things, and, and I want to exhort the other elders here. 
He says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And the first thing he mentions there is to feed the flock of God, which is among you. And um, feeding the flock of God is a, is a wonderful privilege and it's a wonderful responsibility. And um, here these men uh, tonight are going to have this opportunity. And one last passage before we um, uh, go into and hear our first preacher, Acts chapter number 15, Acts chapter number 15. And this is um, during the first furlough that uh, the Apostle Paul had. So he just completed in chapter 14 his first missionary journey. He comes back to the church at Antioch and he explains what has happened. And, you know, this is before the days of Facebook where he, they, people could go and follow him uh, on social media and see what's happening. No one really knew what was happening. So he came back and and, and told all these stories of what happened to him on his first missionary journey. And, and I'm sure it, it had to be pretty like, wow, are you serious? All of that stuff happened to you? And um, so, yeah, in, at the end of verse uh, chapter 14, it says in verse 27, when they were come together and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And so he's there for a little while. Um, verse 28, there they abode long time with the disciples. So during this furlough, they took some time to rest, but it wasn't just that they came back and did nothing. They were very involved in the church. And we find that at the end of the chapter, chapter 15, verse number uh, 35, it says, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. And, of course, this is where we get the verse that is on our fellowship hall here um, on that wall, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. But you notice on there, there's three dots at the end of that, which means it's not the whole verse because the rest of the verse says, with many others also. So Paul and Barnabas, you know, they were involved in preaching and teaching in Antioch, but they weren't the only ones doing it because there was other men who st stood up and preached and taught the word of the Lord. And so that's one reason why we have this preach the word night is so that many others are, can also be involved in uh, ministering the word of God to our church family. It's not limited to just myself. Um, and I'm thankful for that because that's a heavy responsibility, um, you know, for uh, three sermons every week plus Sunday school, every Sunday, um, that, that's, that's a lot. And it's great to have some other men in our church that can fill in uh, when I'm not able to be here if I'm out of town, like uh, last week, Brother Blake filled in when we were out in Branson. Um, if I've been sick, uh, Brother Terry filled in a couple weeks ago as well. And uh, Brother Randy has filled in many times. Brother Brubier has filled in. Um, others have as well. And I'm thankful for the men in our church who can preach the word of God. And I want it to not be just these men. I, there's several other men that are, uh, have been here a while, and I want them to have the opportunity to do that and to develop to where they can also impart the word of God to our church family. So it's not just, hey, this is my little monopoly here, and I want to hoard this for myself. I do enjoy preaching. It is something I enjoy studying and preparing for and delivering. Um, but I, but I know that I can't, 
I can't just do it by myself the whole time. Uh, that, that's not healthy for me, for the church. Um, so it's good to have other men in the church that can uh, step up and stand up and preach the word of God. And so I'm thankful for these four men tonight who are, are willing to come and deliver the word of God to you. Uh, first, we're going to have Brother uh, Shane McMillan and uh, Brother Shane and Miss Kim have been a blessing to us, not just in the time that they've been here at Cornerstone, but for many years before. And uh, we've enjoyed getting to know them over the years, but especially them being here. And Brother Shane, if you want to go ahead and come on up. Um, and uh, as each of these men comes, I want to encourage you to have an open Bible and an open heart to the Word of God and to um, what the message is for you tonight. And so let's, uh, let's um, have our first preacher, Brother Shane. Go ahead and come. Thankful for you, brother. Okay. You're up. Are we on here? You can hear me. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Pastor Justin, and thank you to the church for and the Lord for letting me uh, speak this evening. <clears throat> so um, the lesson tonight is going to be on the doctrine of lesser magistrates, and it's uh, influenced heavily by this book entitled the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates by Matthew Trawella. If you haven't seen it, it's a good book. It's a nice summary. It's also a thin one. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, during this time of increasing tyranny and government opposition to Christianity around the world, I recommend all Christians and government officials study the doctrine of lesser magistrates and follow it as God directs. And, uh, reading and sharing this book is, uh, is a great way to start. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray you for the wisdom and the truth you have revealed in your word, and we pray for your illumination regarding the doctrine of lesser magistrates this evening. Help me to share your truth according to your word and help us to live better for you in these trying times. Amen. Amen. So what is a magistrate? A magistrate is any person in civil government with authority either elected or appointed. And what is the doctrine of lesser magistrates. What Troella says, and I'll, I'll quote this here, uh, it's a good summary, so listen carefully. The lesser magistrate doctrine declares that when the superior or higher civil authority makes unjust or immoral laws or decrees against God's laws, the lesser or lower ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. So if necessary, the lesser authority even has the right and obligation to actively resist the superior authority. So there's a very uh, excellent historical example from 1548. And back then, the German emperor Charles V imposed a law to try to force Protestants back under Roman Catholic beliefs and rule. And the only city in all of Germany to stand against this law was called Magdeburg. The magistrates in Magdeburg protected the people, defied political religious tyranny, and they upheld God's law, word, and the gospel. But the rest of the Christians in all of Germany went along with the law in order to preserve their own well-being. So in 1550, the pastors of Magdeburg wrote a defense of their position called the Magdeburg, Con Magdeburg Confessions. Excuse me, it's a little hard to say. Um, so part one of their confession explains that they were aligned doctrinally with Luther at the time and their interpretation of the Bible. 
And part two informs that the only reason for the opposition is due to Charles' attack on their Christian faith. And when those in civil authority make law which opposes the law or word of God, Christians have an, a duty to obey God rather than man. Now, they also assured uh, Emperor Charles that they were his best citizens, and they will be obedient in all owed and upright duties, but they will not be swayed by the majesty or wealth of anyone. So, what was the result from the Magdeburg resistance in their document? There was a siege in Magdeburg for over a year, and about 4,000 of Charles' forces uh, were killed, and 468 Magdeburgers, if you will, uh, lost their lives. The siege ended, though, with favorable terms for the Magdeburgers, and they were free to practice their Christian faith. Trewilla says, if not for the actions of the Magdeburgers, the entire Reformation itself may very well have been a blip on the radar screen of humanity. So very high, high regard there. So one of the uh, highest regarded discourses on the doctrine of lesser magistrates was written by John Knox in 1558, and he cited 70 scriptures in there. Don't worry, we're not going to cite all 70, but we're going to go through a few key ones. And the first one is, uh, and I'm just going to go through these verses. Um, we don't have a lot of time to break them down, but listen to them, see how God communicates about them to you. Uh, Psalm 149, 5 to 9. Let the saints be joyful in glory and let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Next one, uh, 1 Samuel twenty-two seventeen, And the king said unto his footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand upon the priests of the Lord. <clears throat> and then we remember this scripture um, that was about Peter, in Acts 5, uh, 27 to 29, this is probably one of the most famous ones uh, along these lines. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and a high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So we also remember Matthew uh, 12, 17, and, and, <clears throat> and Jesus answering said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Although this was a statement about taxes, it indicates there are limits to our obedience to government with respect to the obedience to God. Um, there's long been a debate uh, about the divine right of kings, which uh, calls for unlimited obedience to the civil government, even when the civil government breaks God's law. And those trying to justify unlimited obedience often cite Romans 13. And we're not going to go into the whole thing, but just Romans 13, 1 to 2. Let every soul be subject under the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that are to be ordained of God 
Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So Troella gives several reasons, uh, we're not going to go through all of them, but in Romans 13, of why it does not teach unlimited obedience. And the first one is, nowhere in the Bible does it actually say that we should have unlimited obedience to, uh, <clears throat> to the civil government. And second, there are multiple examples of Scripture where God commended those who did not obey governments in which, uh, sorry, those who did not obey governments which opposed his law, including the midwives in Exodus 1. So in Exodus 1, 117, we read, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And in Exodus 1.20, it says how God viewed that. Therefore, God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mightily. <clears throat> Okay, so what are Christians to do in these times? Truella says, the rule of law is crumbling as America collapses because it has spurned the law of God as the rule of law. We will be presented with an opportunity when godly lesser magistrates will need to take stand in the gap. They will need to interpose for the sake of the rule of law and for the sake of the people they represent and defy bad law. They will be accused by the tyrant higher authority of anarchy and of destroying the rule of law, but in reality, they are the ones defending it. Uh, Jan John Hancock, who signed the Declaration of Independence, said, quote, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. <clears throat> so what should we do? We can pray for our leaders to follow God uh, above the superior authorities, uh, study the scriptures and understand the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. We can read this book and others on this doctrine, and we can share the scripture and uh, even this book with the local authorities. So let's pray. Almighty Father, we pray for our leaders to follow God above their superior authorities. <clears throat> Help us to study your word and other books for understanding in this regard. Also, give us the courage to reach out and encourage our local authorities to prioritize your law versus man's law. And for any of us that may be lesser magistrates ourselves, give us wisdom and courage to interpose according to your will. Amen. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Shane. Can somebody think of some uh, biblical examples, other biblical examples of someone having to say, you know what, I have to obey God rather than men, rather than my government. Any other thoughts? Yes, sir. Daniel was one. Yeah, the and, and it wasn't King Darius's main idea. It was his other advisors who said, we need to come up with a great a great new law that you're not allowed to pray. Well, he continued to pray even though he knew what the uh, results would be. And also in the same book, that reminds me of a couple others, three others who uh, disobeyed the law of the land. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were three who said, you know what, I understand what the law is, but I am not going to obey it. I think even of um, Esther, 
right? They had uh, come up with that plan and uh, the, the Jews were not going to follow Haman's horrible idea. And um, as a result, um, they were going to be eliminated, but God took care of them. Um, and here's the deal. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes can say, well, look, um, we ought to obey God rather than men. So therefore I can go 50 in a 45 mile an hour zone. Um, we can't claim that verse for that particular scenario. Okay. Um, and, and I know that, Hey, evidently brother Randy needed that a little comment there, but guess who else needed that comment? This guy needed that. So, so, (laughs) and my wife doesn't need to say amen right now. Okay. This is a bad time to say amen. But we can't, you know, hey, taxes, I don't, I don't agree with taxes, so you know what? We ought to obey God rather than men, so I ain't paying my taxes. No, that's not, that's not it. Uh, Brother Shane brought up that verse, render to the things that are Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God. And, and, and I realize, you know, the taxes are being used for anti-God things. My tax dollars are going to things that this Bible says no. Um, so it, it is a difficult line to draw, but, um, but we have to, at some point, it could be in our lifetime that we're going to really have to take a stand for what's right. And we have to have the boldness and the courage um, that Peter had, that Daniel had, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, and say, we're not going to bow. We're not going to cave to your demands and to your ungodly laws. Um, we're going we're gonna to do what's right. Um, we're going we're gonna to pay our taxes. We're going to drive the speed limit. We're going to obey those other laws, but we're not going to obey that law that tells me to cross the Lord. Um, and that's what we may have to face that. And, and, and there's people in this country who've had to face that when it comes to their business. You know, I'm not going to make a cake for a same-sex couple. It, it goes against what the Word of God says, and if the government has a problem with it, so be it. I'm, I'm standing true to my, my beliefs. And as a church, um, when, uh, if, if they ever impose restrictions once again, we're going to have to s- s- make some hard choices. And uh, I, think, I think we all kind of learned from last time that uh, we're going we're gonna to follow the word of God and not allow government to shut us down as a church. Um, now, I, I can I can say that pretty strongly uh, that it's hard to say what what may come down the pike, but I'm I'm of the opinion at this point that look we're going to have church, and if you need to stay home because you have symptoms, go ahead and stay home if you have symptoms. But we're going to be we're going to have church, and um, if if you happen to get sick because you come to church, I'm sorry, um, that's not anybody's intent. But we're gonna we're gonna still assemble together, and because we're called to do so, so much the more as you see the day approaching. I told you I wasn't gonna preach, but um, but uh, those are my comments. So it's not technically a sermon, just comments based on the message. But thank you for sharing those those thoughts. I know there was a lot more you wanted to say about all that, um, but keeping it to ten minutes is tough. All right. Well, we're gonna hear from our next preacher. Remember, the bill is gonna come and uh, give us a little history lesson. And I think that this will be a help. I, we, know, we know we heard a little history lesson in a different regard a moment ago, but 
we're going to hear a different um, history lesson regarding our country and the founding of our country. With that, Brother Bill, thankful for you and uh, if you come at this time. If you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Proverbs 29, I'll be reading scripture from there later on. What a segue for, from uh, Brother Shane leads right into what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Um, let us pray. Lord, help me to convey uh, our U.S. history and the founding fathers and how you guided and directed them through um, this perilous time in our country, uh, setting up our um, need to have a revolution and take over and become the United States of America. We ask that you uh, help me convey this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to fast forward from the 1500s to the 1700s, first uh, thing is um, this month we celebrated the signing of our Bill of Rights. We also uh, recognized uh, the, hit, uh, the anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. And I'm going to start with that, The um, what led up to the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Massacre took place in the 1770. Five people died, six injured. Colonists called this a bloody massacre. King George, Britain, said it was an unhappy disturbance. Sound familiar? What about all these peaceful protests that are happening? Um, this led to the Boston Tea Party, which formulated the Son of Liberties, led by Samuel Adams. After the Boston Tea Party, well, it was, the Tea Party was due to uh, what they felt was uh, excessive tariffs and taxation without representation. Then after that, King George decided to initiate the Intolerable Acts. Um, they had the Boston Court Act, controlled shipping, he imposed martial law, and no uh, assembly by the uh, colonists. And so um, and then Massachusetts Government Act, it stopped elections and replaced the mayor with the magistrate. And he became the judge, juror, and executioner. Um, and so there was no court of law. Um, back up um, at the massacre, John Adams defended the eight soldiers that were charged with uh, the murders of the, and injuries. And the same John Adams later on joined the Continental Congress. He became the vice president to George Washington and our second president of the United States. He was a lawyer. He believed in the rule of law. He was also big in helping establish, uh, I believe it was the uh, Fifth and Sixth Amendments. And so um, the Administration Act um, was next and it controlled freedom of the press, intercepted uh, mail, printing paper, uh, so they had, uh, they couldn't get all the printing presses, so they just, uh, decided, well, we're going to control the amount of paper that's going to flow out. And then um, they confiscated Bibles even. And uh, there was an individual that saved his Bible and was able to get um, paper and stuff and started printing them and giving the Bibles back out secretly. 
then the fourth uh, part of this intolerable acts was uh, the quartering of uh, British officers and um, loyalists and, and soldiers to the King of England in their houses. And this was throughout the colonies. Um, this um, through the Sons of Liberty and um, John Hancock joined up with them. He was uh, wealthy because he inherited his parents' estate. The magistrate that was put in place by King George for Boston um, quartered in his house and had several generals and uh, uh, quartered into his big mansion. And he used his wealth to help fund the Sons of Liberty and the Revolutionary War. Um, the Intolerable Acts led to the First Continental Congress, and they opened that up with a, a prayer. And they found a gentleman that was uh, an Episcopal clergyman. His name was Jacob Duchesne, and he arrived in um, at Congress to uh, give his uh, opening prayer. And he started with uh, Psalm 35, read it through its entirety. Then he continued with a prayer. And I'm going to do the first paragraph and the last. It says, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty, kings of kings, lords of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme, and uncontrolled over all kingdoms, empires, governments. Look down, we beseech thee, on these our American states who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on the gracious protection, desiring henceforth to be dependent only on thee. He ended with shower on them and the millions they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name of our, and through the merits of Jesus Christ, our son, our savior, amen. Uh, Duche was uh, voted on and elected as the um, uh, the pastor for the uh, Congress and he um, served 1775 through 1777. But as things started to turn badly with the pending Revolutionary War and during the war, he defected and went back to Britain. The Bible influenced aspects of public culture, including languages and arts, education, and law, and left its mark on the lives of individual founders. It also thought to offer insights into basic enduring questions in political theory as the role of civil government, liberties, civil responsibilities of citizens, and whether citizens have the right to resist, resist tyrannical rule. Through the political discourse of the ages of in quotations from the illusion of the Bible and with language and resembles imitates and evokes the distinctive annotations of the King James Bible. The founders turned to the Bible 
for liter literary, rhetorical, and political reasons, in addition to religious reasons. Um, one of the, um, they used references from uh, Proverbs a lot when they're uh, working on writing the Constitution. And I'm going to start with uh, Proverbs 28, 28. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when, the, but when they perish, the righteous increase. When the righteous, and then down in chapter 29, verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Verse 12, if the ruler hearkens to lies, all his servants are wicked. Verse 16, when the wicked are multiplied, transgressions increase, but the righteous shall see their fall. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Also, Exodus 18:21. moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. In other words, these men were working on separating themselves from England. And they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing that they signed their death warrant. Because most of these men were known of King George and um, generals. And so they looked long and hard to find these men. These men that signed the Declaration of Independence also fought in the war. Some died during that. Some were caught and executed for treason to the crown. I'm going to read uh, part of the Declaration of Independence. Jefferson wrote, and I'm just going to highlight this. He wrote on a lambskin, okay, because paper was really hard to come by. And I see that as a, a biblical uh, thing. The lamb had to be sacrificed. The lambskin was uh, prepared. It's thin, and so you're able to write on it but the ink would soak into it and it wouldn't smear or smudge. And so it was a very good way to send a message and uh, even though there were shortages of paper. Now, whether they used them in the printing presses, I don't know. But Jefferson wrote the first Declaration of Independence on a lambskin. And he wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't say you have the right to happiness. You have, you pursue it. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them 
that seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Um, there's so much more. Um, a lot of the founding fathers, uh, John Hancock, for example, was behind Amendment Number Three: No soldier shall in peacetime be quartered in any house without the consent owner, nor in time of war, but in the manner of prescribed by law. Um, John Madison also was big on um, George King George uh, uh, during uh, the Intolerable Act, suppressing um, assemblies, uh, freedom of speech, uh, the right of the press, and um, freedom of a religion. King George confiscated Bibles and he wanted only um, to try and force the uh, Church of England on the colonies. Um, we have a lot of things coming up. Um, Brother Shane alluded to that about uh, electing magistrates. Um, Moore has an election coming up. You have three city council members and a mayor. And it's hard to find out information about these candidates because they don't have to list whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. But you can get that information through the Freedom of Information Act through your local election board, uh, Cleveland County Election Board. So um, when they come knocking on your door, I ask them, are you a registered Republican or a Democrat? Well, I don't need to answer that. It's a nonpartisan uh, a city council's post. And that right there tells me that they have something to hide. So look into your candidates, know your candidates, and vote for uh, candidates that are going to uphold biblical principles. And also, you um, ask, well, what's the Bible got to say about biblical principles? Psalm 109.8 says, let his days be few and let another take his office. And with that, um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, explain how this country was formed and that we're getting away from um, sound doctrine that helped these men form our constitution and our government. And we ask that you help us get back to your way of wanting us to run this country, Lord. We as Christians we need to find honorable men to do that part. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Bill, and uh, thank you for that challenge and uh, reminder that our country was founded upon biblical principle and we have a responsibility to carry that, carry that baton, take that baton and pass it to our children and uh, make sure that we do our part in the elections. And we have a pretty big one coming up this next year. And if it doesn't go well, it could go really badly for us as believers. And that's one of the reasons that Paul said to pray for those who are in authority that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. Um, so we are to pray for our elected officials, and we are to make sure that we're doing what we can to elect the right officials. Um, so thank you for that uh, reminder and encouragement, and thank God for our country. Uh, we were founded upon biblical truth, and that is a good reminder.
All right, Brother David, go ahead and come on up. I appreciate the goods, and uh, they have been a great blessing to have in our church, and uh, I'm thankful the Lord brought them, and it's such a blessing to have Miss Ashley in our church, too. She's She makes me jump. She just made me jump just a moment ago, and uh, every time she shakes my hand, it just has that effect on me, but anyway, I'm thankful for them, and um, Brother David, I'm thankful that he was willing to um, help with uh, preaching uh, to preach the word night. And so at this time, Brother David, you come and deliver the word of God to us. Thank you. Thank you for that, Pastor. Get myself opened up here and ready. Pat and he's been great speakers. Y'all enjoyed that? Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. All right, starting in verse 21, I'll start reading there. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a, Canaan, a woman of Canaan cried out of the same coast and cried to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yea, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And when Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it even unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your wisdom. Ask you give me the words to speak from this incredible passage from your word. There's so much there, and we even have time to cover. In Jesus' name, amen. Because if you've ever wondered, what kind of a Christian do you want to be from a level 1 to 10? Do you want to be a 4? Or do you want to be a 2? Or maybe an 8? But no, most of y'all would say, hey, I want to be a 10. But in this story, we see a very interesting lineup that kind of lines up with that. And so we'll start off here. This woman of Cana, she had a daughter that was previously vexed. Horrible problem. Evidently, she had been to all kinds of physicians and tried to help her, and none could help. Isn't that like the world? They try all the world's things, and none of it helps. And she had thought, I'd heard of this one called Jesus. You know, I've talked to people at work many times. I'll say, oh, I've heard of Jesus. Is he really the answer? I want to stand before you tonight and say, yes, he is. But she wondered about this. She goes, all right, I'm going to go. And she literally was rejecting all of her pagan idols. Now, if you notice, the country where she had came from was even condemned for destruction back in the Old Testament. That's how wicked these people were. 
But she said, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Jesus can help me. And it's so interesting how this works out. For in verse 21, Jesus goes to the northernmost part of the country. And she's coming down in a providential meeting. Isn't that like our God? We move toward Him, He moves toward us. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever been struggling with something in your life and you turn to God and you try to start walking toward Him? He'll move toward you. But it comes to meet. And she came, so she noticed this woman of Cana came to the coast and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Well, that's a good prayer, isn't it? That's one we could use. Thou son of David, she addresses him correctly. So she knew the title. But, and there's three buts in this section. Three buts. They're very profound buts. But he answered her not a word. Now, if any of you have been saved for a long time, you'll know the silence of God, and it's deafening. It's hard. When your prayers won't even go above the ceiling, and you keep trying, you keep knocking, Lord, are you there? He hears you, but sometimes he's just silent. And there's many, many uh, reasons why he could be silent. But in this particular story, I was going to just use two of them. There's, there are others, but one is for his glory, to increase his glory. Because if you think about it, in the story of Lazarus, they came, they told him, the one who you love, Lazarus, is sick. He was only six miles away. Wasn't a short walk. He would have made it fine. But he waited. He got more glory out of raising Lazarus from the dead than healing a sick Lazarus. And that was all for his glory. And many times when we're walking through these hard, hard times, these tunnels in life, they get dark, and God's not speaking. I mean, I stand before you here, I've walked through some of them dark tunnels. There was a, a time when we had a, Sandra had an illness, and, and it was pretty, pretty serious. And, and I can remember being in the hospital. There's no one else there. My parents are out of town. and just, you know, happens just in the perfect time. Let me tell you something. Them hospital corridors are mighty lonely. When you're walking, your spouse is sick. You don't even know what's going to happen. Fear grips you. You just cling to God. This is kind of like what this woman is going through. She had that first but. He won't even answer her. And his disciples came to him and saying, hey, send her away. She's crying after us. Well, she's not crying after them. She's crying after Jesus. She keeps crying and crying and crying. And many times we need to keep asking and asking. Lay it before the Lord. Don't walk away. Don't give up. I'm sorry to say I've been guilty of giving up a few times. I'll have to admit that. But she keeps crying out, crying out. She knows there's an answer. The answer is Jesus. She keeps crying and crying and crying. But, uh-oh, here comes our second but. It's not a good one. Here he is. I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What? Why would he say that? You know, has God ever spoke to you and you're going, what? You're kidding me. One thing to remember, he knows how to handle each one of us. He knows what we need, when we need it. He knows exactly how to handle you. He knows what to bring to you. He knows what to take away. Sometimes we don't want him to take it away. But it's over here. She goes, well, I'm not a sheep. I'm not a member of the house of Israel. 
She is lost, so she has one of the three. But her response was incredible. She'd been kind of like refused. But then she comes closer, and it's kind of like what we need to do. Keep drawing closer. And I wanted to inject this, and there are many times when people, I, 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 I spend most of my time, you know, seem like I do more witnessing at work than I do anywhere else. But anyway, I'll talk to some people, and they say, oh, I'm in sin. I can't go to God. Yes, you can when you fall into sin. That's the first place to run. Run to Christ. Don't hide from Him. Run to Him. But here she came, and she worshipped Him. This means like coming prostrate before Him. She worshipped Him. Come, worship the Lord. And you notice something, her prayer, Lord, help me. Notice how her prayer got short? At first it was, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now it's just gotten to the point, Lord, help me. That's a good prayer that we might need to pray sometimes. Lord, help me. As reading this and studying this, I, I kept thinking in Mark 9 when the, the man had a, uh, had a child that was, he was taking him to Jesus for help, and Jesus looked at him and goes, do you believe I can do this? He goes, yeah, yeah. And then he said, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, many times we need to pray that. Lord, help my unbelief. And it's so hard when you get to that point, and it's, it's, it's a precious prayer. Lord, help me. A short, it gets you right to the point between you and the Lord. And many times you're walking through these valleys and in dark times, you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, help me. But she got another one coming here. And this one was another one of those. It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. What? What is this? It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. The children meaning the children of Israel. But she catches on to it. Notice she keeps coming. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. But if you kind of look at this, it's like Jesus is holding his hand back and saying, no, but in that inner hat, he's kind of drawing to come, come. You know, it's kind of like that. And, and her answer is just absolutely incredible. And so many times when we're walking through our dark valleys, we need to turn, come to him. And she said, truth, the dogs eat of the crumbs of the table. Lord, I'll just be a dog. I'll be a dog at your table. I'll do what you say. I understand that. And then her daughter was made whole. But Jesus made a statement, and this is where I want to end with. O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole. May we have that kind of faith where God strengthens our faith through dark times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you've given. We ask your blessing on this congregation. I pray as we walk through our valleys and our shadows that we'd look to you, not to ourselves. In Jesus' name. Thank you very much for that challenge. That's a challenging passage to preach because it doesn't sound like what Jesus, how Jesus should respond.
sometimes that is how he responds to us to see how serious we are. And um, we need to be faithful to come to him and per- persist in our prayers, um, even when the answer at first is no. And I'm thankful for her example of faith. And um, the Lord pointed that out. And may the Lord use that in all of our lives to increase our faith. Thank you for the challenge there, Brother David. Amen. I appreciate that truth in that song. And I'm looking forward to the message here from Brother Jared. And I sure appreciate he and Brianna. And uh, they got married here just over a year ago. And uh, so they're like pros at this marriage thing now, right? You've got this down. Boom. Done. Uh, No, I mean, we're all still growing and learning in our marriages, but uh, I'm thankful for them and and, uh, their faithfulness here and uh, looking forward to the message uh, that God has for us tonight. Jared, you come and preach to us. Well, I'd like to open in prayer real quick, if that's okay with y'all. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Please watch over us and, and keep us safe while we're sitting here and, and enjoying time together, Lord. And, and please give me the words to say and, and let me not speak for myself, Lord. Let me give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I found out I was the last one to go, I'd asked Pastor, I said, uh, so you're going to let me sit with the nerves for an hour, huh? And he said, yeah, for sure. But I'm, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And Tonight I'm going to be talking about the worldly inferno, and this is a one part out of many, I hope, but uh, to make it kind of quick, uh, I'm just going to talk about the, the man's responsibility, the husband's responsibility in the house. Um, so don't all gang up on me after church, all you men. I'm going to have my head on the swivel when I get out of here. Um, but no, I'm, I'm fairly new to being married. I've only been married for about a year, and I've, I've been trying to work on how I can be a better husband. Um, for the future when we decide to have kids. Um, and, you know, this past, past year of marriage, you know, I've, I've actually learned some very important things, um, you know, and, and especially helping for most of y'all, you know, all y'all newlyweds out there or, or fixing to get married. Um, you know, most obviously, it's the husband's sole duty to be, be a God-fearing leader, the protector and lover of his household and the ones who are in it. And uh, y'all don't have to turn here. I I'd hate for y'all to be flipping. I'm going to do about three verses. But in Ephesians 5.28, it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Um, and, and, you know, that holds true. And it's, you know, you think about yourself as a single man, and, and then and once you get married, you're, you're now loving for two, and you're protecting for two. And that's something that I didn't even think about when I was getting married. Um, and in Matthew 19, 6, it says, Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let man not put asunder. And that's the protecting part. That's the protecting part. That's the part where, where we have to step up as men. You know, we have, we have our, our sword here. You know, while we're single, we're protecting for ourselves. We're deflecting over here, and we're deflecting over here. You know, Satan's going to attack you over here. It's real easy. It's real easy to deflect all these you know, for some people, for me, I, I've had trouble deflecting myself. But, you know, don't let, don't let that worldly inferno take you over as a husband. You know, if you do that, then it's going to crumble the rest of your household. And, uh, you know, and so look out, look out for your house. Look out for your wife and your children. Lock down your house. You know, Satan's going to attack you first as a man. 
he, he's not coming for your wife. He is coming for your wife, but he's coming for you first. He's looking for the cracks in the windows, the door to be open just a little bit, the cracks in the suit of armor. He's looking for all those little ways in, and he's not going to bite at you all the way first. He's not going to take a massive bite out of you. He's going to inject you just a little bit here and there, a little bit of anger, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of, you know, take that long suffering away. He's going to inject you with that and let it sit, almost like a chocolate bar. You take a chocolate bar, you eat a little bit of it, you wrap it up, put it, put it there for later. You know, you'll come back to it later. There's a second dose coming from Satan. That once that one dose sits in your veins and courses through your body for a while, he'll come back at a little more anger, at a little bit more frustration. You know, you 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 gotta shut the windows. You gotta you, you gotta shut the door. You know, he'll he'll come at you not as an enemy most of the times. He'll come at you as a friend. The things that you want the most. He'll savor you. You know, he'll savor you. He'll he'll hold on to you. He's a strategist. I think sometimes I'm smarter than him. He's smarter than me. He's one of the smartest strategists there's ever been. You know, and um you know, he'll inject you with the bitterness, the depression, you name it. What, what you think about, he's got it in his arsenal. He's ready. He's at the ready. He'll open up this briefcase full of a bunch of different needles to inject you with. What's going to affect him the most? Back to the shield analogy. Now once I get married, now my wife's behind me. I'm in front holding this shield. And now she's behind me and she's propping me up. She's, she's, the, she's the, sta- the stable, the uh, stability. That's what I'm looking for. She's the stability. She's the, the support beams. And that's a hard job. And I'll tell you why it's a hard job. First of all, because my wife is only five foot two and I'm six foot eight, hundred and or two hundred and sixty pounds. So that's a you're doing a good job. <laughs> but you know, that strength, it comes from being a godly woman. And I appreciate that about her. Because if Satan comes along while she's propping me up and injects her with something and she lets it get to her. Now she's gone. She's fallen. And then now it's that much easier to attack me from behind. Because you got me in the front, you got her behind, and then behind that is your children. So you gotta be, you got to be ready. You're on the front lines as a man. You're on the front lines. You know, and I say, you know, how, how can you prepare yourself to be, to be a godly husband? And I know this doesn't maybe pertain to a lot of people in there because you know, most of y'all are already married and stuff. But, you know, it comes from a godly father figure being in your life. You know, that's just one of them. Um, but I was lucky. I give a lot, of, a lot of credit to my dad, you know, for raising me up to love my wife, to read my Bible, to keep God first. You know, without that strong bond between a father and a son, you know, you're feed, you can end up feeding your child straight to that worldly inferno, straight to that, that you know, um, the wolves of this earth. You know, and, and then you're going to leave it to the broken system to teach your children. How are you going to leave it to, you know, leave your children in, in a school to teach them about the Bible? You know, I mean, you have to be, you know, and we hear that from pastor, and I thank you for that reminder all the time. But, you know, keep your head on straight as a husband. You know, Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And in today's climate, not everyone gets to have that bond. And, and, but that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. You know, turn, turn the tables back around for your future child. Pray, 
Read your Bible. The last thing Satan wants to see while he's looking through that window is you studying. You know, you trying to better your relationship with the Almighty God. Now, God has taken you into account. He's your friend. He knows you. He understands you. Don't give up on him. That's not fair because he didn't ever give up on you. You know, finally, don't let anything hinder you from the Father. You know, I, I know I have work to do. I'm pretty sure we all do. I know I'm not the only one who you know catches yourself scrolling for a couple minutes and a couple hours, a couple days, you know. Um, you know, I think a quick food for thought to end it is I've been thinking to myself. Get yourself a pocket-sized Bible. Carry it to work. Carry it everywhere you go. Keep that in your pocket. And, and before you pull out your phone and start scrolling on Facebook, just pull that out. Pull it out for a minute. I know we got our Bibles on our phones, and that's good. But, you know, there's just something about that. You know? And, and I'm pretty sure ads don't pop up when I open this either. <laughs> so, but no, um, just don't, don't fall into the worldly inferno. There's too many people that do that these days. And, and, you know, us thinking about having children one day, that's something I need to keep first in my life. I need to be the first line of defense. And I always need to be that, no matter, you know, if I'm, I get a little old, you know, 105 years old and frail, I'm still, you know, the front lines. And, and that's a big responsibility. And, you know, I just want to end this in prayer. Thank you all for listening. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus. I thank You for everything that You've done in our lives, Lord. I thank You for letting all of us stand up here and speak Your Word. Please keep us safe on our way home and just, and just bless us and let us take home something from every message, Lord. And we give You all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jared. And uh, I appreciate that thought. And for those of us who are husbands and fathers, we do have a pretty big responsibility to be right with the Lord because we are the first line of defense for our family. We're the ones that are supposed to be the spiritual protectors. So he brought up Ephesians chapter number five. And of course, Hebrews chapter number five gives us the great marriage chapter. Does anybody know what's in the very next chapter? Ephesians chapter number six, the armor of God. The armor of God is mentioned in chapter six. And well, chapter six, verse one talks about children obeying your parents and the Lord. And for my children who are here, that needs to be said from one from time to time. Um, but it is interesting. So God says for husbands to love their wives and uh, regarding marriage. And then the next chapter, he kind of gives us a little bit of insight on how to do all of that by putting on the whole armor of God every day and putting on the helmet of salvation, putting on the breastplate of faith, the shield or the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, having our loins girt about with truth and the, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And uh, these, this is our armor that we are to put on as we fight the wiles of the devil, because the devil is after each and every one of us. And for those of us who are husbands and fathers, uh, the devil is after our wife and our children. It is interesting that in the garden, uh, the serpent wasn't talking to the husband. He was talking to the wife. And they are a little more vulnerable at times. And uh, we husbands need to be aware of that. And uh, we need to have 
our armor on uh, so that we can adequately defeat the wiles of the devil. And, and when you study out the armor, the armor of God, there's nothing that protects the back, which gives the idea that we're never to turn our back on the devil. We're never to run away from him. We're to face him head on. And when we do that, we're going to be okay. But when we turn around and run away from him, we're vulnerable at that point. So um, thank you for that challenge and uh, for your, um, for speaking with authority on the, on the matter, because you now are a husband and now you understand that responsibility. And uh, it's sometimes hard to know those things until you're in that spot. And uh, so thank you for sharing that with Jared and for all the men who preached tonight, thank you very much. Um, the Lord used each and every one of the messages in my life, and I hope that all of us were uh, helped and benefited from that.